Thanks, Hannah Beth and worship team. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet us there in Luke 12 in verse 22. This is our third and final week of a series we're titling uh, Trust Transfer. We're looking at this one passage in the Gospel of Luke uh, from Luke 12, uh, 13 through uh, that end of the verse that we just finished there in verse 34. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Daniel. I'll get the opportunity uh, not only today to teach God's word, but to lead here at Journey Church as uh, one of the pastors. And so uh, just to give you an overview of this series where we've been thus far, in week one, we looked at just verses 13 through 15, where one man had one question to Jesus about the practical matters of trust in his life. And he had this just practical, hey, Jesus, I need help on this uh, financial dispute with my brother. And Jesus dealt with that one man seeking his wisdom. And if you remember, I've said this for two weeks previous, and I'll say it one more time, is, is that Jesus taught him that he needed to be deformed from the image of the world before he could ever be transformed and conformed into his image. And then last week, we looked at verses 16 through 21, where Jesus turns his attention from one man to the crowds. And in Luke 12, 1, we saw that there's many thousands gathered together to hear the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus taught them about looking at their treasure, where they placed value and comfort and security in their life. And we dealt with that issue of, of, of where do we seek our security and comfort and where do we find hope in troubled times? And then today, Jesus speaks and turns his attentions. If you notice that first verse in verse 22, he says, and he said to his disciples. So today we're, we're getting, as Jesus got more and more narrowed in his approach to those seeking his wisdom, today is gonna to be a conversation or a teaching targeted at those who not only just come and recognize Jesus and wanna know some things about the Bible, but to his disciples. What does it look like to follow Jesus and view him as treasure? To, to just be like an airline pilot and tell you where we're headed before we even take off. If you look at the last verse that Hannabeth read there is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There will your heart be also. So this is gonna feel like a family conversation about seeing Christ as our treasure. And it'll be hopefully convicting for all of us to ask that question, where is our treasure? Where can we find our hearts? So let's look at this together. Luke 12, 22. And he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore, a good Bible uh, scholar would tell you, anytime you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for? And we've already covered that. We've, we've done an overview of where we've been thus far. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on for life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. Last week, we talked about that word life, that it's, it's a, a full encompassing word that means everything that makes you, you. And last week, Jesus taught us this parable about the man who, who sawed his life in things he could hold in his hands. And when he was taken from this world, he had to leave his life behind because he put all the emphasis, all the value on what he could hold in his hands. So Jesus says, your, your life, 
What makes you you, what is full encompassing about you isn't just what you put into your body, nor is it what you put on your body. Your life is more than that. And Jesus' command here about do not be anxious. Well, better, easier said than done, right? Like easier said than done of just think about the, the wild thinking that Jesus would have had in this day about people who worried about just where their next meal was coming from to say, don't worry about it. Like a direct command, like you, you, don't worry about it. It's like, I mean, <laughs> I guess, okay, like, but, but, but I am worried about it. I, I am concerned, maybe not about my next meal, but what's the next five years going to look like? What about my kids? What about my future? What, what, what about all these things? Because you see, Jesus' command here is directed at provision. It's directed at provision of just seeing Jesus as your ultimate provider for all your needs, all your struggles, all your wants, all your financial matters. And with every aspect, it's seeing Jesus as provider. Because if you get down, if you just go down a few more verses and look there at verse 28, his conclusion about the lack of seeing Jesus as provider is this. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? In the gospels, this phrase, which is actually just one simple word in the original language, Jesus uses it four times. Three other times, other than this one context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is this Luke section of the Sermon on the Mount. He used it one time in Matthew chapter eight, where there's this story of Jesus and his disciples are on this boat. You may know it if I jog your memory a little bit. And there's this storm that pops up and Jesus is snapping on a pillow in the back, Mark tells us. He's napping on this pillow in the back of this boat and the disciples start freaking out and they wake up Jesus and they say, aren't you concerned with us? We are going to perish. Save us. And Jesus' response is, oh, you have little faith. And then he speaks and calms the storm. Another time is when Jesus in Matthew chapter 14, it's kind of right after he's fed 5,000 people and they've gotten on this boat and they're headed across. Jesus is exhausted, he's tired. And so he goes up on this mountain to get alone with his father and he sends his disciples out across and there's a storm that pops up again. They're in the boat, they don't have Jesus in the boat with them this time. And then Jesus walks on water and he comes out and Peter thinks it's Jesus and he's like, hey, if it's me, if it's you, call me out there. And he's like, come on. So Peter starts walking on water and says in Matthew 14 that, Peter's eyes shift off of Jesus to see the storm around him and then he plummets underwater. Jesus walks up to him and he pulls him up out of water and he says, oh, you of little faith. Another time in Matthew chapter 16, it's after Jesus has fed 4,000 people. So he's fed 5,000 families, now he's fed 4,000 people and they're in this boat and Apparently this happens a lot in boats. Not this one though. But they're in it and Jesus starts talking about warning his disciples about listening to the teachings of the Pharisees about what they say is valuable or not. 
And he says, I'm warning you about the, he calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. And leaven, you know, it's a, a little bit of yeast in the bread. It'll make the whole loaf rise. And he's concerned about them letting false thoughts and false ways of seeing the world enter into their psyche and in their mind. But they're in the back of the boat. They're like, bro, who brought lunch? Did you bring it? No, I, I, you, you forgot the bread, Peter. You did it. Like you forgot lunch. I was supposed to bring the fish. I didn't also bring that, but you were supposed to bring the. And they're arguing about lunch. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And then he goes in to say like, you guys, have you missed the point? And then he starts telling them about, remember the 5,000, remember the 4,000, remember the spare baskets, remember the point is about me, it's not about this stuff. Focus on what matters. Each and every time Jesus uses this phrase, four different times, we've already, so we're studying one today, but Matthew 8, Matthew 14, Matthew 16, each time it's all centered around this idea of provision. Matthew 8 provision for Jesus to pull through in safety for our lives. Matthew 14, Jesus to pull through in a moment of deep, desperate need. Peter's underwater and he needs Jesus to pull him up. Matthew 16, it's a focus on providing a simple meal, but they lacked focused on what really mattered and they were focused on this little minuscule thing. And here is a context where his disciples, the 12 and even the others who claim to be his disciples and follow him, they haven't failed at anything. But he's reminding them about this false way of seeing the world where your primary focus is on providing for yourself when God, your heavenly father, is actually the generous provider. The teaching point Jesus is making is doubting the character and ability of our God to provide for his kids. And when his kids take their needs in their hands as the thing they focus their lives on, he says, oh, you of little faith. It's not about lacking wisdom or lacking good judgment, but it's what we do in our lives when our primary focus, our primary brain space is taken up with, I don't know what I'm gonna eat, what I'm gonna wear, what's my future? Oh my goodness, I can't, I'm filled with anxiety. And all this happens in my own life too. Because in our family, I'm the, I'm the manager with all things resources. I make our budget. I, I make sure that money comes in, money goes out. We spend money on the right things. We're saving for the future. We're doing all these different things. But in, in doing that, we do what is a, you know, a, a finance principle called zero-based budgeting. You know, at the beginning of the month, every dollar, we know how much is coming in. We know where it's supposed to go. But there's times that, you know, we have a monthly budget meeting in our house because we need to know we're out on the same page and I would highly recommend that for married couples, but I freak out a lot. Like I do, I'm just being honest. Like, I just like, I freak out. I'm like, I don't know where it's going. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Like, look at all these things. Like, what are we doing with our lives? And my wife has always has to be the steady. I mean, like, it's all good. It's going to be all right. Calm down. Like you can imagine like me getting animated about something. Never happens, all right? But she's steady. She's cool, calm, collected. She always says, God's got this. And how many of us in our lives, whether we recognize it or not, 
we get anxious and worked up. Or some of us are just oblivion and just live with disregard in general. We live like God is a coach on the sidelines and when there's times that it actually pulls through and there's a play that works, we give him a good nod over like, good play God. But I actually was the one who executed. Like, look at me, we, I made it happen. About provision, your future, doesn't matter. But rather, Jesus would have us see our Heavenly Father as a generous, gracious provider who possesses all that's in the world and loves to lavish on his kids. And Luke actually makes this a highlight. Look at Luke 12, 29 and 31. Jesus, is, his conclusion is this. And do not seek He has two negative commands in this passage. One is do not be anxious. Don't do it. But number two is do not seek. We're getting ready to see what he's not seeking. This word literally means to long after. To make your primary fixation this thing. What you are to eat. What are you to drink. Nor be worried. Why? Why why should I not be worried about my future, about provision, about all these different things? For the nations of the world seek after these things. Here's the catch. Here's the catch 22. Here's the point he's already trying to make. I know you know what it is because you have your Bibles open or it's on the Sky Bible behind me, one or the other. But let those words sink over you, wash over you. The point Jesus is trying to make is this. And your father knows that you need them. Your father knows that you need them. So the point isn't this haphazard way of living that is, hey, we should all just seek poverty. We should all just throw caution to the wind and not use judgment on on our future or making wise decisions about what we should spend or not spend or what we should go after or not go after. But rather, it's using wisdom on what is a priority because our father knows you need them. He knows. So the deforming that Jesus wants his disciples to have in their mind is to stop seeking after these things to stop longing after them stop desiring after these things why it's not that they don't matter he says your father knows you need them he cares but rather your father as a generous provider wants you to be aligned your heart with his heart so what are we supposed to do what's the positive command What's the positive thrust that Jesus wants his disciples to know about this? Before we read it, I want to ask you this question. One of my mentors when I was in in Bible college actually introduced me to this question and it's been really good for me anytime I'm reading through the gospels and, and, and Jesus, like Jesus does, says something really difficult that's hard for me to wrap my, my head around or my hands around or my heart around. And this question is, is helpful. It's, it's this. It's a long question, so I'll say it like 20 times. What is the vision of the good life 
on the other side of my obedience of this teaching from God's word? What is the vision of the good life on the other side of my obedience to this teaching from God's word? Because all throughout the gospels, Jesus says something that's hard to swallow. And if you're anything like me, when I read those times when Jesus says something really difficult, I'm like, ooh, must have been bad to see that guy. And I forget, I, I almost like come out of my body and forget, oh wait, Jesus is saying that to me. If I'm his disciple, he's saying this, he's saying this to me. Like he is pointing this right at my heart, right at my attitude, right at my attention. So what is the vision of the good life being presented that of scripture on the other side of my obedience to this teaching? Here's the teaching. Instead, seek. He used the same word, very different context, one verse later. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The crux of worry in our life about our future is based on an unclear view of who God is and what he desires. Because our world and would, would believe, want us to believe in this teaching that there's actually not enough to go around. But rather, there is a generous God who holds all things and is the owner of all things and actually finds great joy in providing for the needs of his kids. Gets even more pleasure to give them uh, even more blessings of the kingdom of the, the heavens when they have a right perspective on their life, their relationship to him and their relationship to others. Because our God is a generous giver. His heart overflows with generosity. And so Jesus says that our heart should be aligned with his to seek his kingdom. And when we have his kingdom in mind, we'll have joy and delight and our father will continue to bless us. So what are we called to do? Verse 33 and 34. I don't think it could be any clearer that our fixation for this context was for them. They had a lot of things in their hands. They didn't have a, a revenue stream like many of us who have a nine to five, who have a job, who just get a, a dollar paycheck, but rather they would have a, a, a flock or a herd of goats and, or they, they would have these material possessions, whether animals, livestock, or just other spices and things that his instructions then was, hey, I need you to, to sell some of these things and provide for others, provide for yourselves in that money bags that don't grow old. Because here, here's the point, here's the point. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word treasure couldn't be more literal and clear. It literally means material wealth. If you remember in week one of this series, we looked at 
verse 15 where Jesus is teaching to one man, he said, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. The word possessions literally meant anything that you call mine. So we talked about a lot of different things, your job title, your, uh, your body, your health, your future, your status, your, uh, your good name, like all these different things, anything you call mine. But here for Jesus in this is his getting at the heart of generosity. The heart of generosity of, of giving of the resources that you have. And it may not be where your mind and heart goes when you think about anxiety. I wanna just acknowledge that, that. There's many of us probably that when you first think about anxiety, there's many things that may pop up in your mind. But you don't have concern or worry about like, I may get fired tomorrow, I'm concerned. Like you may not do that. But for Jesus and just sticking with what Jesus says, he goes there. He talks about finances in this one phrase in this in from verse 32 to the end of verse 34 because he says it's your father's good pleasure to provide for you so he says sell your possessions give to the needy provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and have treasure in heaven for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so so let's talk briefly about money and what keeps us from being generous in terms of finances in this regard? And the first thing is, if you're taking notes, is the reality for all of us is because generosity hurts. It hurts. Like it's, it really, it does. And there's a big difference between desire and discipline. Because how many of us would be like, at the end of my life, I want to be known as a generous person. We'd probably be like, yes, like, I want people to know that I was generous with my time, that I wasn't just so busy that I just blew past them every time I saw them in the grocery store. But I took time just to look them in the eyes and have a conversation and see how they were doing. I want to be known as a generous person with my talents and abilities, because I we all have different skills and assets that we can provide for one another. And I want people in my community and my church to think like, I gave back. Like I gave back in a variety of ways with my skills and, and re gifts that God has blessed me with and the knowledge that I have from education. But, but also a, a generous person in the sense of, I gave of the possessions that I had, the, the wealth that I had, I, I gave. It's not necessarily about a, a dollar amount that you donated a, a wing to expand a school, but just... Based on the resources God blessed you with, I gave. We have that desire. We, we long for that. But I said, notice there's a difference in desire and discipline. How many of us just desire to be healthy? We're like, yeah, let's do that. But like, how many of us still at like 1030 at night, we're like, hey, Bluebell is calling my name. That's me. I mean, it's being 100% candid. Or, you know, like little kid cereal. Like Fruity Pebbles, like it does every night it like at 9.30. It's just like, hey, you know what? That's what you should do. Even though you're not actually hungry, you should just do that. Like, that's great. But there's a difference. Like, I want to be healthy. I desire that. I long for that. But the discipline to actually execute are different. Because there's pain in discipline. It hurts. It, it's, it, it pulls at you. You have to make 
calculated decisions. You have to know what to do, when to not do, and to do it. And being generous with our finances actually reminds us of our full and utter dependence on God rather than on things we can hold in our hands for value of our life, for what actually matters, and to seek the kingdom. So this week, let's look at your treasure. With a few minutes left, like let's, let's really get practical about the treasure. And full candidness, I'm not an accountant, but I am your pastor. So why in the world would I even desire to go down this road, right? Four things, because I know you're curious. Well, number one, I don't desire you to live a life of anxiety riddled with worry. And Jesus says that if you don't get this in order, you will be filled with anxiety and filled with worry. So therefore, I think it's worthy to talk about. Number two, in a practical matter, six out of 10 Americans this year said in a study uh, that they stress about or talk about money daily, every single day of their lives. They stress about it. They talk about it every day. That's 60%. If 60% of this room was filled with one thing that they focused on, I feel like it'd be worthy to talk about. Number three, for those of you who are married or will be married or desire to get married, I don't want you to get divorced. And money and money problems and money arguments are one of the top leading causes in divorce. Number four, you may be thinking, stay in your lane. Like spiritual, Bible stuff, stay there. 2,300 verses are concerned with money and possessions in the scriptures. That's a big chunk, 2,300. And Jesus spoke about money so therefore, I think it's worthy to talk about. So there's the precursors for the last 10 minutes of this sermon, all right? So what do we do? What do we do if we're desiring to be generous and follow Jesus as his disciples from this passage where he says clearly that our heart does not lead the way, but rather our treasure leads the way and our heart follows after it. Our heart will follow after our treasure. So if we want to get our treasure in the right spot, what do we do? The first thing you can do, no matter where you're at in this journey of, of figuring out your finances, because we all struggle at some level with this, is track it. Like if you don't have a budget, there's a crazy stat that there's stats that variety, but a great percentage of Americans have no clue where they spend their money every month. Track it. Like if you want to know where your treasure is, know where you spend your money. Like there's Facebook ads constantly promoting another budgeting app. Just budget your money. You can start categorizing it. Use every dollar or mint or a variety of other things. A good old-fashioned paper and pen. Just know where you spend your money. Because your money is a tool. Don't let your tool own you but rather tell it how you desire to use it. Change your mentality about starting to see money as a tool rather than what you live by or live for. Because Jesus is clear. Look at verse 34. Again, write it a hundred times. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Take ownership of that treasure and you tell it where to go. Stop allowing it to just 
float in and float out of your life and like it's in command. Because there's no magic process of you can flip a switch and that be that. But if you wanna allow your treasure to rule you, keep doing what you're doing. But if you wanna tell your treasure where to go so you want your heart in the right process, start with knowing where it goes. Many of you don't assign your money and assign it a job. Like a kindergarten teacher that gives every student in the classroom a specific role. Every dollar in your budget should have a specific role to accomplish a purpose. Because it's simply a tool. It's not God. But you can allow it to reign over you and riddle your life with anxiety if you don't do those things. Assign it a task. Treat it like a tool that it is. Because it's simply a tool. And many of us, when we start allowing our money to be a tool like it was designed for, need to align our hearts with honoring God with our finances. Many of us haven't ever been challenged to treat tithing or giving back to God with our finances as a spiritual discipline, but I wanna challenge you in that. I wanna challenge you to honor God with your finances on a regular basis. Last week, we read this verse from uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, regularly set aside something to honor God. I wanna challenge you to do that. To start at a process of whatever with what you have to start it as a benchmark to honor God with your finances, recognizing him as the most generous giver that you could ever meet or be in relationship with and you're never gonna outgive him. And there's no magic process. Many of you, there's maybe three reasons that you think like, I don't need to do this. One, you may think, I don't make enough money, but you know, when I, I make enough then I'll start tithing. I'll start giving back to God when I, when I get to this level of income. There's no magic number. There's no magic pill you can swallow to be a generous giver. But rather, you need to start where you're at and give back to God. That's the reason why in the Old Testament and all throughout the Bible, there's this principle called tithing, which simply means first 10. First 10. The first 10%. You see, it's not a a 10 in the sense of uh, a raw number where no matter how much money you make, it's just the same amount. It's, it is the same amount when it's percentage. It's just 10%. A 10%, give back 10% to God. And some of you think like 10%. Oh my goodness, I've never done this. This is a massive chunk. Start where you are. Honor God. Seek with a heart that honors God and God will meet you right where you're at. Others of you who are Bible scholars, you may think, well, Jesus never says anything about tithing. Why would I do that? Jesus never mentions it at all. Like, I don't have to do that. That's an Old Testament thing, not a New Testament thing. That's a great question. Because when Jesus is addressing some legalism, which I think that is a heart that's legalist in some way, he addresses it like this in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe on mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You ought to have done without neglecting the others. What is, he, what is he saying here in this context? Well, the Pharisees are in this context arguing with Jesus that they don't have to have justice and mercy and faithfulness because they do tithe. But what is Jesus' response? He says, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
With a more clear-cut and modern-day translation, that was the ESV, but let's read out the NLT. It says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more, more important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What Jesus is saying here is don't become so legalistic that you can categorize your life and say, this is how I want to honor God, but I'm not going to let him touch this. The Pharisees had slid the scales in the wrong direction, but Jesus says you should have done these, but not neglected this, but rather you traded in. You said, since I'm doing these things, I don't have to do these other things. Has somewhere in our hearts treated obedience to God this way? Where it's saying, I'll do this, but not that. And whatever that means. Because Jesus simply says, we should seek to honor God with our, our whole lives. Not just one category or another, depending on your comfortability. Where is your treasure? Is Christ your treasure or are there, there are other things that still have a, a hold on us? You see, the reality is in the New Testament, the clear teaching about generosity is one that blows the lid off of a, just a static number or the way we live our lives. But a life that seeks to pursue God's kingdom above all other things, seeking to leverage our, our talents, our income, our job, and everything we do to just seek his kingdom. See other people that come to know him, the nations to be reached that starts as an outpost of wherever your church sits in your city to go to the nations. And Paul, talking to the Corinthian church about generosity and giving towards missions, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as his heart is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not out of guilt or out of fear. He simply says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when his kids' heart are aligned with his. So my challenge for each and every one of us is simply this, to evaluate our hearts evaluate our treasure and say, God, do I trust you? Is my heart aligned with yours? And what is the alteration? What is the sacrifice that you're calling me to make, to honor you, to love you, to, to trust you with everything that I am? Because the desire in, in my heart for our church, for the people of Journey, is to practically love Jesus in our everyday lives. Who practically seek to live in such a way that other people will ask why. To trust Jesus and our Father in heaven as our generous provider. To not be people who quote Bible verses, but live Bible verses. To be people that see Jesus, Jesus as my only treasure to be known as generous in every way, in the community as life-giving presence with our time, our energy, and focused outward to others. 
to see Jesus as treasure who's filling us up on a daily basis. Generous with our abilities and, and talents and to see it for the good of Jonesboro. To seek to honor Christ in our income, to see the nations reached. To see people come to know Jesus who are far from him. So if you would be so bold, would you get in a prayer posture that you feel comfortable with to open your heart up and open your hands up to the Holy Spirit as we do at the end of every single one of our services? Would you invite the Holy Spirit to to speak into the areas of your heart that are anxious, that are filled with worry? Remembering the promises of God for Him to be with you in all things. And in those three categories where it looks like to to trust Jesus with our time, with our energy and resources, with our finances, would you be so bold to pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal in your hearts areas that you've allowed false senses of security based on how you're living your life? Where's the Holy Spirit inviting you to transfer trust at today? How can you see Christ as treasure? For some of you in the room, maybe the possibility is, is you've never invited Christ to be the leader of your life and forgiver of your sins. To see him as ultimate treasure, as the generous provision for all of mankind to make a right relationship to the Father. Because your sin has broken that relationship and all of your efforts and striving and legalism can never make you a good person or make your way back to God, but The generous Father provided a way for you to have right relationship with Him by sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to live the life you couldn't live. You see, God's provision isn't just practical in food and clothing and your future, but it's, it's eternal and it's spiritual. So to honor God in every area of our life is just to recognize that He is our provider, period.
Would you give to the Holy Spirit now just aspects of your life that you need to be reminded that He and He alone is your provider. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room, into our hearts. You've been here with us. You teach through your word. You open our eyes. God, would you not stop opening our eyes to the truth found in these words to seek a life that goes after the kingdom. That doesn't seek for our own pleasure, our own good, filled with anxiety because we can never do or be enough, but just seeks after you and experiences a life of being generously provided for by our good heavenly father. And we seek to honor you with every aspect of who we are. With every aspect of who we are. Because you are a generous father. In Christ's name, amen.